If you would, stand for reading of God's Word and remember your part when I'm done, okay? Your eternal abode, the new Jerusalem. And guess what? Finally, in the book of Revelation, there's nobody getting killed. There's no earthquakes. There's nothing burning and all that stuff. We have something great to look forward to. Pick it up in verse 9. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit in a great, to a great high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Now for time, I'll skip verses 12 through 20. They speak about the gates. They speak about the foundations, the size of the city, and the beauty of the city. But I will pick this up in our text if you would, pick it up in verse 22. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day, there shall be no night there, and they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall be by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Oh, you guys are so good. Now, if I forget that next week, you guys remember, okay? Thanks be to God. Father, thank you for this time to study your word, the inerrant, infallible word of the living God. Thank you for the things that we have to look forward to, our new home, where we'll be residing forever. What a place. And we're going to learn about that today. Thank you for this time. Holy Spirit, please speak to every heart that is here, things that we individually need to hear from you. Our God, speak to us today. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. As you know, the theme of Revelation is Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming in judgment. Jesus is coming to reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. And Jesus is coming to create all things new, including you. You, we, usins, that's right. All brand new. Now, why are we going to be there? Why are we going to be in the new Jerusalem? A couple of things I want you to remember a couple of weeks ago when I, when I last taught. First of all, Jesus reconciled us. Big fancy word, just means brought us in the right relationship with God. The word was catalasso. Catalasso. And the specific definition is this God takes our sin on himself, that would be Jesus, and establishes a relationship of peace. God has removed his wrath from every single person that believes and receives the gift of salvation. Oh, that's a great thing. We are there because our Lord and Savior reconciled us. But we're also there because He redeemed us. Remember, paid the purchase price. His life for my life. What a deal. Jesus dies and I get everything that He has. We inherit what He has. What a great thing that is. And remember this, Jesus brings order out of chaos. We're saved out of Satan's kingdom of chaos and brought into the kingdom of light. And look, we're still living here. There's still chaos here, but we have a chaos calmer that we go through life with. Remember, Jesus simply speaks 
and the chaos calms. I love that. We need to tap into that. He says, in the Sea of Galilee, remember this, the storm was raging. The disciples are seasoned fishermen. They've been on that Sea of Galilee many times. And they are fearful for their lives. This is a violent storm and Jesus is sawing logs at the back of the boat. And they arouse him. And when they wake him up, he says to this chaos that's going on around them, peace be still. And then he looks at the 12. And he looks at him right between the peepers. And he says this, where is your faith? Can you imagine how they felt? <laughs> Jesus looking at you. And you know what their response was? It says in Mark chapter 4, 39-41, they feared exceedingly, wondering, who can this be? Who is this in the boat with us? Well, it's God that's in the boat with you. He has control of all things. Please know this and never forget. God is in the boat with you. God will be with you in the new Jerusalem. His presence will be there. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We will be in our glorified state. And we will be able to commune with Him forever like we cannot imagine. We have the Spirit of God within now, folks. That is a great gift. But to be in the presence of God in a perfected state and be able to communicate with Him forever, that is something absolutely off the chart special. And remember, heaven is a place of no more. No more pain. No more suffering. No more disappointments. No more crying. No more anything miserable because the old has passed away and all things have become new. And we know in Isaiah 65, 17, we won't even remember this existence any longer. And all I can say is hip, hip, hooray. Yes. And what does God offer us now? What does Jesus offer us now? Offer all humanity. I don't know if you remember this last week, but last time I spoke, but 21.6 says this, I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirst. Freely to him who thirst. Who, them who, who want it, who are thirsty for it, God will give it to you. And those who partake of it are called overcomers. Overcomers. And it says in verse 7, 21.7 last time, overcomers shall inherit all things. You know what that means? We went through it in the text. What we have, what Jesus has by divine right, we get by divine grace. We didn't earn it. We didn't pay for it. It is a free gift given to us for eternity. I cannot imagine what Jesus has, we have, all because Jesus reconciled us and Jesus redeemed us. What a gift. What a gift. Your eternal abode will be the new Jerusalem. In verse 9 and 10, who will abide in the new Jerusalem? Well, it's going to tell you. Verses 9 and 10. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me. This is the angels, one of the angels that poured out the wrath of God and the bold judgments, the worst of the worst judgments. And now he comes in a different posture to John. And he talked with me. It's calm. It's reassuring. And he says this, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. Who is that? That's the church. That's us. That's our believers. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God. 
He talked with me. Calm, reassuring words. And he's taken to a high mountain. He's taken to a vantage point that John sees this whole giant cube coming down. The majesty of the new Jerusalem. And he is just blown away. Now remember what John has seen. He has been an eyewitness, almost a participant in all of the judgments, the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, the bowl judgments. He has seen the carnage that is going to happen when God pours his wrath out on the earth. He has seen earthquakes that have killed many. Wars, death, famine, billions killed. Remember the hail, the giant hail stones that come down. The trees that are burned up. The waters turning to blood. He has seen demons sting like scorpions. He has seen some horrendous things that are going to happen to those earth dwellers who said no to Jesus. No to Jesus. We don't want you, Jesus. I'll take us some other way, Jesus. And it's a tragedy because each one of these judgments is encouraging people to repent and turn and live. That's what they're all designed for. John is seeing something that is amazing here. He is witnessing his home, and he is actually witnessing in eternity future him being in his home and you being in that home. You're already there in the eyes of God. Remember, God is outside of time. We are already positioned in the heavenlies. That is incredible. That is an amazing thing to think about. The occupants of the city, we know, will be the Lamb's wife. That'll be you. That'll come up. The Lamb's wife, the church, those who believe that Jesus Christ died for their sins and said, Yes, Jesus, I believe you did that for me. I ask you to forgive me for my sins. I turn my life to you. Remember that word believe is pistio, commit to, put your trust in, rely on Jesus Christ as your Savior and receive the gift of eternal life. But there will be other occupants in the city. We know this by Hebrews chapter, uh, where am I at? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22 through 24. He says, But you have come to Mount Zion. This is a heavenly scene. To the city of the living God. God will be there in his triunity. The heavenly Jerusalem to innumerable company of angels. So we see God and angels to the general assembly, to the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. So watch this. The occupants of the new Jerusalem will be number one. The triune God will be there. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, City of the living God. Secondly, an innumerable company of angels. Now, what angels are going to be there? The elect angels that chose to go and be loyal to Yahweh and not tricked by Satan. The third that were tricked. They're not there. The church age believers is the bride of Christ. And guess what? All are there. Not one is left behind. Not one is forgotten. Everyone that has confessed the name of Jesus. If an atomic bomb drops on your head and you are just blown to smithereens, your atoms are just disintegrated, God will bring something together, and you will be there. Have no fear. And it says the spirits of just men, I think that's the Old Testament saints, they will all be there. And then I think it also is talking about the tribulation believers. They will be there also. All of God's creation that are loyal to Him, every angel, every human, all of them will be there. 
all who have proclaimed loyalty to Jesus. And think about this again. I want to emphasize this. John is already there, and you are already there. This has already been played out, folks. You're already there. It's an amazing thing. This city is glorious because God is glorious, and God is there. Verse 11 says this, Having the glory of God, her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. The first thing John sees is the glory of God, the doxa, the doxa of God. This embraces the excellence, the perfection, the divine nature, the splendor, the glory, the brightness, the adornment, the majesty of God, and it gets his attention. But what else gets his attention? The light, the light, her light caught John's attention. Her light was like a precious stone. Can you imagine these stones? I mean, we've seen diamonds and emeralds and that sort of thing, but these things have to be off the charts, just brilliant, just just illuminating. And remember this, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. 1 John 1, 5. In in John chapter 1, verse 9, we know that Jesus is the true light that gives light to every person, every man coming into the world. That this light of the gospel is available to every single human being. Not just a select few, but everyone has a chance to come into God's family. And notice that he says true light. Now, if you're thinking about true light, what must there also be? A false light, a false light. And we know in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen that Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light, seeking to deceive and devour as many as he can. Now, if you were here on Tuesday night, you would have heard Roy talk about this triunity of deception. Number one was distraction. And look at how we are distracted today from the things of God. Everyone in here that has an iPhone in your little pocket that you cannot wait to see what's going on, you are distracted. And I asked guys in our men's group yesterday to pray for me that I can put this thing aside and not be so distracted by it. And I think you should pray for yourself. If you're distracted by this, we have no idea how much information we're getting here on a continual basis that is contrary to our God. And that distraction leads to deception, and that deception ultimately leads to destruction. I love that, and I'm copying that for the rest of my life. All from Roy. Now remember this. When you encounter the true light, you will never be confused by the false light. We study the true so that we can identify the false. We do not study the false to be able to discover the true. Remember the bank teller. They they look at the real bills so they can tell the counterfeit. That is what we do. We don't plug our brains up with the false. Jesus is the light. In Revelation 1.16, we see Jesus walking through the churches. And the the churches are 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 the lampstands. And his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. Resplendent light. In Matthew 17, 2, at the Mount of Transfiguration, when we have the, 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 the inner group, Peter, James, and John, 
They see Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. You know what Jesus does? He blows their mind. The Sea of Galilee was one thing, but when Jesus took his outer being and just split it open and his glory shone through, oh, that was a whole different level of amazement. A whole different level of amazement. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. Resplendent light. Remember, God is light. God is light. Jesus will illuminate the new Jerusalem. You know what's exciting to me about that? No more electric bills. You can run your air conditioning there all you want. You don't have to worry about them turning it down. Having you pay more. No more generators. No more faulty switches. No more when is consumers going to come and fix that power line. I need my electric. There won't be any of that in the new Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem, folks, is perfect. And it is a perfect city. And it is a protected city. And it is your city. Verse 12 through 14. Think about the city's walls and gates. Also, she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and names written on them. Those 12 angels are there for a specific reason. That's protection, isn't it? And the names on it were the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, three on the west. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, solid. And on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The significant thing here that I think that we are trying to get a grasp of is the wall is described as great and high for a reason. I think it's talking of protection and security and that sort of thing. But also, I think it is reminding us of something. It's a reminder for eternity that only the qualified will be there. Now, how are you qualified? It's only through Jesus Christ. There's one way into the city. There's no other way. Only Jesus can qualify you for entrance into this city. No other way. It has to be the Jesus way. Remember Acts 4.12, For salvation is found in no other, for there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. None. There is no other road. There's no Buddha road. There's no Islam road. There's no Hindu road. It is the Jesus road. Now that is intolerant speech today. But that is the truth, and real love tells people the truth. They, it really does. Even though the world is, is very much against us telling them the truth. Jesus, by the way, said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. So we have also there, notice, the 12 tribes of Israel are on the gates. They remember forever their names are on the 12 gates. The 12 tribes of Israel remembered forever how God used the nation of Israel. And then the 12 apostles of the Lamb remembered forever. Their names are on the 12 foundations. Now, what is God doing? Now, please hear this. God is a God of remembrance. He wants us to remember. What has he given us today to help us remember? He's given us the communion service. The communion service. Take, eat, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same thing with the cup. Drink, do this in remembrance of me. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You remember what Jesus has done for you. 
God is a God of remembrance. And I want you to also think about this. Think about this one. It says the apostles' names are going to be on the foundations. Do you know that the foundation of the church was built on the apostles and the prophets, Jesus being the chief cornerstone, the stabilizer of the building. And if you would, Reagan, I think we have the picture here. Jesus is the cornerstone. The reason I took this out, this is the stabilizing factor. The church is built on the apostles and the prophets. Jesus is the cornerstone. But when you go on and read that text, you realize that when you said yes to Jesus Christ, when he became your savior in an instant, in a moment, you were placed into his building. Now notice how secure this building is. This is one of the reasons I think that if you really believe that Jesus is your savior, that you are eternally secure. You cannot have a building where you have, oh, this is secure, he lost his salvation, that stone's gone, or this one's gone, or this one. No, it doesn't work. I don't believe it works that way. I think if you're really saved, you are cemented into the building because of Jesus Christ. That's my opinion on that. So, uh, the city is secure because God dwells there. The city is beautiful. The city is huge. And let me say it again. This is your future address. Memorize it. John Doe, New Jerusalem. Sally Doe, New Jerusalem. Your name, New Jerusalem. All you need to know is your room number. And you're going to know that's important in the future because this is a giant cube with lots of space. You need to know your room number. That's all you need to know. Watch the city's dimensions in, in verses 15 through 17. And he who talked with me. Again, it's the same angel that was one of the bold judgment angels that was pouring out the wrath is now gentle with John. And he talked with me. And a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. You know, God wants us to know what we're getting. He wants us to have an idea. He's showing us this. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as, as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Now, whether I don't know what you have in your Bible, but that's 1,400 to 1,500 miles. For our discussion today, it will be 1,500 miles. Okay? So it's 1,500 miles. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. Then he measured its wall. Watch this. 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man's, of a man, that is, a, that is of an angel. The angel is simply using the measurement of a man. That's 216 feet thick. Now, this is a secure building. The foundation is secure. The walls are secure. You're going to be secure. Now, watch this. A 1,500-mile wall. Length, breadth, and width are equal. It's a perfect cube. Now, we have shown this cube before. This is the new Jerusalem coming down. I don't know if it rests on the earth or suspends above the earth, but there will be inhabitants here and there will be inhabitants here. Both are believers. We know that the church is going to be in the cube. And I suspect a lot of others will be in the cube also. But I also want you to notice what the world does. And I showed you this before in the next one, Reagan. This is the cube of the Borg. Okay? 
Remember, the Borg wanted to assimilate you. Satan wants to assimilate you. Get you to think just like him. Be in concert with the Borg. One person thinking exactly the same way. Notice how dingy, dirty, ugly, and crummy this is compared with the light. When Jesus comes into your light, folks, life, it is not that picture. It is bright, shining, wonderful, terrific. That is what you want to remember. And think about this. Perfection is who God is. It's who he, everything he does is perfect. Also think about this. Perfection is who you will be when you're glorified. Not now. If you think you're perfect now, you got a problem. Okay? You might need to be in therapy if you think you're perfect now. <laughs> yes. But I also want you to just put this in your mind. This is your future home. And the very second, the very instant that you said, Jesus, I believed you died for me. You know what went up on, that, on your home? Sold. Sold. Awaiting occupancy. Sold. It's your special home. Again, you didn't pay for it. You didn't work for it. You did nothing for it. You get it because of what Jesus did for you. And that is one of the reasons we're going to say, thank you, Jesus, forever. Thank you. I get to live here forever just because of what you did for me. Thank you. Another thing I want you to just process. Think about this. Everything in the eternal state is perfect. Again, including you. Including you. So God is perfect. The elect angels are perfect. Glorified believers are perfect. The city that you're going to live in is perfect. The environment we dwell in will be perfect. And most, most importantly, our attitudes will be perfect. Isn't that going to be something? You know what you will not see in the New Jerusalem? You will not see one person going around with rolling of the eyes. Oh, I can't. I can't. There will not be any rolling of the eyes. There will not be any gestures, hand gestures that go on on the highway. There won't be any of that going on. You will never hear this word again. Whatever. I'll tell you, the daughters are great at that word. Whatever. I mean, you want to just... Yeah. Won't hear that again. No jealousy. No murmuring. No complaining. Oh, this gold, it's so shiny. I want to look at it, some tarnished gold. I mean, no, there won't be any of that because we'll be perfect and our attitudes will be perfect. We simply cannot imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. Now, this verse that I'm going to quote you in context has to do with the wisdom of God that is available to humanity now. Not necessarily eternity future. But I believe we can appropriately apply this to eternity future. I has not seen, nor heard, nor ear heard, nor has entered the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Hey, I can't even imagine it. This doesn't even come into my mind. We cannot imagine it. A new heavens, a new earth, a new us. But until then, until then, 
God has given you something special as a down payment. You know what that is. It's his Holy Spirit. He's your paracolito. He's the one that comforts you in the midst of this chaos. He's the one that guides you, guards you, protects you, leads you, speaks to you, calms your ruffled spirit. That is what he's given us now. But then it will be perfect. And I want you to hear this and hear this loud and clear. This world is not all there is. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. This is not all there is. This is not your best life now. I don't care how many books are sold with that on it. It is not your best life now. Oh no, the best is yet to come. That's right. Amen. Now the new Jerusalem is immense. And Randy Elkhorn is going to give us some insight into the size of this city. And I want you to, to just think about this. Let me find this little thing here. Watch what he says. He says it's a metropolis of this size. It will be in the, in the middle of the United States, would stretch from Canada to Mexico and from the Appalachian Mountains to the California border. Now we have another picture here over America. Giant. This cube is giant. Now, just think about this. Keep this picture right here for just a second, Reagan, if you would, please, as I'm reading this. The ground level of the city will be nearly 2 million square miles. This is 40 times bigger than England, 15,000 times bigger than London, 10 times as big as France and Germany, and far larger than India. But remember, that is just the ground floor. Just the ground floor. Can you imagine? Given the dimensions of a 1,500-mile cube, if the city consisted of different levels, and if each level were a generous 12 feet high, the city would be over 600,000 stories. Do you know what 1,500 miles gets you into? Space. Space. You're going to look out your window, and you're going to see space. You're not going to see earth. You're not going to see mountains, red glare. You're not going to see any 1,500 miles. You are looking out at something totally different. Totally different. If, if they were 1,600,000 square stories, if they were on different levels, billions of people could occupy the New Jerusalem with many square miles per estate. In my father's house are many rooms. You are getting an estate. Many square miles is your room size. I don't have to worry about hanging my Mickey Mantle picture up right here. I don't have to, I don't, none of that. I'm going to have this giant estate forever. I cannot imagine what God has prepared for us. That is an astounding thing. An astounding thing. I turned my pages and I, oh, here it is. So it's good to know how big the city is. And also, I want you to think about this. The composition of the city. The composition of the city, verses 18 through 21. It's all great stuff. The construction of its wall was of jasper. Think of the stability. The city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, and he goes on to explain what these stones are. And in verse 21, the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was one solid pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold 
like transparent glass. Now, we cannot really grasp the beauty here. God is trying to give us a hint at the beauty of this city. But one thing we know is this. Our Creator is into beauty. Look at the existing creation. The variety of colors, shapes, sizes. The beauty of a sunset, no two are the same. The beauty of snowflakes, no two are the same. No two humans are the same. You can be identical twins, you're not the same. There are no two created animals. The mountains, the oceans, the variety, the sea-dwelling creatures, the land-dwelling creatures, the amazing creativity of God. And hear this. This will come up on the screen. God's creative ability and beautification ability is unending. It isn't going to be, okay, this is the way it is. And for eternity, every day you wake up for eternity, and that's, no, no. It's, it, I think it'll be new every day, new every morning. Problem is, there's no morning there. There's always light. But anyway, it'll be new all the time. New all the time. God is in the beauty. And I just had a couple scenes here. One was the mountains. You go out to Colorado or you go out to Utah. It's so beautiful. And the interesting thing when you go to the mountains is that every time you look at that mountain, it's different. It's a different sunset. It's a different atmospheric condition. It's a different weather condition. It's a different cloud cover. Every day is different. And the next one you're going to recognize, Maranatha, Maranatha, is, that's where we go to our vacation, okay? That's Maranatha. Lake Michigan, this could be the ocean. But again, every sunset, every sunrise is different because of the clouds, the water. It's always different. God is into beauty. God is into beauty. Now, when you think about new every day, this creation that God has for us, this place that we're going to, God's love and mercy are new every morning for you while you're here now. Do you know that? That is the truth. Every day can be a new day. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says this. The steadfast love of the Lord never, never never ceases. His mercies never, never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. New hope every day. God's love never ceases. God's mercies never cease. Every day is a new day. Every day is a new beginning of hope. You might have gone to bed with some terrible thing going on, but there's a new day of hope coming. I believe that God is that way. Every morning in the new Jerusalem, and again, I know there's no morning in the New Jerusalem, but it's whatever we're seeing there will be a constant new. And we will never hear these words uttered in the New Jerusalem bored. I am sick of this New Jerusalem thing. Never, ever, ever going to be bored. And I can say, I believe forever and ever, after we say, thank you, Jesus, our next thing on our lips is going to be, wow. Wow, wow, I get all of this because of what Jesus did for me. The city is, will be off the charts beautiful. And I have just the, the jewels here. And you can't, again, you can't capture, capture the beauty of this at all, at all. And then the streets of gold. Now, this is a pretty picture. But the nice thing about this, what is missing? Well, you don't see people in cars and all that. But you don't see any construction workers. 
You don't see closed ahead. You don't see detour, detour. You don't see a wreck up there and you're all backed up, you know, for who knows how long. That's our new Jerusalem. Folks, hear this loud and clear. God truly is a master artist. And all the grandeur is for your enjoyment forever. We listened to a guy at Maranatha one time. And he was teaching on a, on a psalm that says, Precious in the sight of God. Timios in the Greek. Precious in the sight of God is the passing of one of his saints. And he said, if you, we only could grasp the glory and the splendor of what we're going to. And he actually said this. We'd be throwing ourselves in front of semis. <laughs> and then, of course, ha, 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 I'm just kidding. But it, it's something to really look forward to. The new Jerusalem, what God has for us. It's a glorious city. The new Jerusalem is glorious because Jesus is the light of the city. Verse 22 through 24. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb, the Lamb, the Lamb is its light. God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. Who is Jesus? Jesus is God. This is a proof text for it. The Lamb illuminated it. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into the city to magnify and worship the Lamb. Jesus and God Almighty are the temple. There's no need for temple there. Why? Because there's no sin. There's no chaos. There's no, there's no sin that has to be dealt with. It's already been dealt with. Recall the temple showed the people the proper way and the only way to approach God. The only way to deal with sin. Now, Reagan, if you would put the tabernacle. Oh, thank you. You are, you are way ahead of me, Reagan. Yes, one thing I want you to notice here is that there's one door. One entranceway to God. This is where God dwelt with his people in Israel. This is the Holy of Holies. Once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest could go here. No other time can anybody approach God. This is teaching us the way to approach God. Jesus is the door. He's the only way. The bronze altar of sacrifice is here. Jesus sacrificed for here. The, 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 the cleansing, the, the water for the priest to cleanse himself. Jesus cleanses us from our sins. In the holy place, we have the table of showbread. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never, whoever, will never hunger and never thirst. The menorah is over here. I am the light of the world. The altar of incense is here where our prayers go up to the altar. And Jesus, God himself, hears our prayers and he answers our prayers. And then once a day we go through the curtain into the Holy of Holies where the blood is placed on the mercy seat and Jesus' blood was placed on each one of you the instant you said yes and you are clean and pure forever in the sight of our holy God. That's justification. He views us as if we're pure and holy and clean forever. What a deal. Folks, the Lamb is the light of the city. Jesus is the light of the, light of the world. In Genesis chapter 1, 14 through 19, in the original creation, the sun, moon, and the stars were not created until day 4. But yet in 1, 3, it says, it, it says 
God said, let there be light. And there was light. What was the light prior to the sun? And I believe it was the sun. The sun. Just like in the New Jerusalem, the Lamb will be its light. Folks, Jesus was the light at the beginning. Jesus is the light in eternity. And I want you to think about this. Jesus is the light in between all that time. He is the light of the world right now. John 8, 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever comes to me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. He is our light. That is the second I am statement. Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is God. And remember, we are to revere the name of God, not take it callously. Verse 25 through 27, there's one way to enter the city. The only way in, 25 through 27, its gates shall not be shut all day, inviting those who are believers. There shall be no night there. They shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie. But, oh, watch this. Only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life will have entrance. Only those who are saved, saved. You know what saved, you're, you're saved from? You're saved from the wrath of God. That is what you're saved from. You are rescued from the wrath of God that will be poured out on all people who reject and reject and reject the love of Christ. Humanity has to make a decision. Will I accept the love of God or will I experience the wrath of God? There's just two things. And God's plea to humanity is believe and receive the gift. Believe and receive the gift. Only those written in the Lamb's book of life will enter the city or have access to it. No sin, no evil, no chaos, no lawlessness will be there. No more. Now, some closing thoughts and then we'll be done. And I want you to think about this. We're almost through with our study in the book of Revelation. We have gone through a lot in this study. A lot of distress thinking about what's coming to these earth dwellers. A lot of distress on how the world is going to change and the church is going to apostatize and fall away from the true faith. A lot of distress. And we have this area of we know what is waiting for those who stay loyal to Jesus and loyal to the true God. We know that we will not face the wrath of God. And after I've done this study, I'm more convinced than ever of a pre-tribulation rapture. I really believe that we're taken out before the, the sealed judgments start. Now, again, we've had a lot of debate on that, a lot of discussion on it. I tried to give different views on it, but the way that I see this, I just believe that that's the way it is. Also, there's a blessing to those who read, hear, and keep what is in the book. Now, why is there a blessing? Because as the time grows closer, the world become more and more chaotic. And we have the privilege of knowing in advance what is coming. So that we can tell people the truth and we don't get caught up in the tumult. So when you feel yourself getting distressed, take a pause. That's why we need to encourage one another even more as we see the day approaching. I need you when I start to get distressed. I've been watching too much news. Ah! 
that's what's in it. I need you to help me and say, Rick, this is okay. It's okay. This is what's happening. Jesus said it's going to happen just like this. And he's coming back for us. He's coming back for us. Remember, Noah preached, some people believe, for 120 years. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. He was a preacher of righteousness. And you know how many got saved? Eight. Eight were in the boat. Billions of people were probably alive at that time that rejected, 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 rejected Noah over all those years. So don't get discouraged. Because I believe the Spirit of God is still at work today and there are still people that He is working in that, he's going to come into the, that are going to come into the family of God. And don't get distracted by what's going on in our world. Please, we know that indoctrination is happening. We know that brainwashing is happening. We hear it all the time. We are not to fall for that. We are to encourage one another. Stay on track. And if you have to, say this over and over and over. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming in judgment. Jesus is coming to reign as King of Kings. And Jesus is coming to make all things new. Jesus is going to come and make everything okay. As our world grows darker, may we even more watch this. Watch. 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 That's the command of the church. Watch what's going on. Don't be, don't be dumbfounded by what's going on. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Watch. Stand fast in the faith. Be brave. Be strong. Let everything you do be done in love. You know what that means to me? Love is telling someone the truth about what is happening in the world around us. It is not blending with the world. It is not becoming like the world. It is telling people the truth about what Jesus said this world would be like as it was in the days of Noah, where it would be harder and harder and harder for people to believe. So shall it be at the second coming of Christ. A lot of weird stuff happened to Noah too. And I believe these flying saucers and all this stuff have a lot to do with, with demonic activity that is increasing as, as Jesus gets closer to coming back. But that's for another time. When the world sees us, Stand fast in our faith. They will know we're weird. Something's different. We have been with Jesus. They will know that. When the world sees us not panicking, they will know that we have been with Jesus. When the world sees us not falling for the indoctrination of the brainwashing, which you are getting 24-7 via your phone, your computer, all this communication stuff that's going on, they, we don't fall for it. They will know we've been with Jesus. We're different. And by the way, when the world hates us, and yet we love them, they, only, they will know that you have been with Jesus. Remember Jesus said in Matthew 5, in the Beatitudes? He, he, says, he says, but this I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you, that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. That's not natural. The only way you can do that is you have to spend time with Jesus. You're not going to pull that off on your own. No, that's a Jesus thing. And remember, we are ambassadors. We are mouthpieces. mouthpieces. We are truth speakers for Jesus. And while we are here, let this be indelibly imprinted on our minds. 
We will not live by lies. That's Rod Dreyer's book. We will not live by lies. Erwin Lutzer wrote, wrote a book also. We will not be silenced. We will have our voice heard, even if it results in us being contrary to the culture. Again, we do it with gentleness. We do it with respect. Uh, we, we, we are angry and that sort of thing, but we must speak the truth and love to people. That is our calling. Like Jeremiah the prophet, our calling is to tell people the truth. And it wasn't popular for Jeremiah, and it's not going to be popular for us. In Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 20, you have these words, Therefore thus says the Lord God. He's talking to the people of Israel who are going to go into Babylonian captivity because they have worshipped idols and rejected the true God. Now think about the earth rejecting the true God during the tribulation period. There's an analogy here. He says, My anger and my fury will be poured out on this place, on man, on beasts, the trees of the field, and on the fruit of the ground, and it will burn and not be quenched. He's talking about Babylon. But that is also tribulation future. Verse 23, but this is what I commanded them. He, he throws out a, 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 a plea for them to turn. Obey my voice and I will be your God and you shall be my people and walk in all of the ways that I have commanded you that it may go well with you. Yet, watch what they did not do. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but followed the counsels and the dictates of their hearts, of their evil hearts, and went backwards and not forwards. Why did they do that? Because they loved their sin. Jesus said really simply in John 3, 7, 3, 19, this is the condemnation, that, that light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. The light has come in, the true light that gives light to every man coming in. He has come. And people say, no, I don't want you, Jesus. I just want my own way. Think about this. You are living in a chaotic time. You are living in a time like no other. Now, I know the Civil War was terrible. I know the World Wars were terrible. I know the Holocaust was terrible. But never have you had a global push for, a pop for the entire world to be indoctrinated into a single worldview we're heading straight forward to a one-world government. This is a one-off. This is a first time in the history of the world that this is going on. So it can cause a little distress. I want you to think about a psalm. And it is Psalm 18, verse 1 through 3. And may these be words that help you during this time. This is spoken of by David. David has been chased by Saul for 13 years. He's become king and he's reigning and he's reflecting back on his life. And he says this, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. May those words be indelibly imprinted on our hearts and minds. I will love you. I don't care what's happening. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock. The Lord is my fortress. The Lord is my deliverer. The Lord is the one in whom I take refuge. He is the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. 
I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. Let that resonate in each one of us. When we start feeling the pressure and the chaos, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. That is what we want to think about. The rock is immovable. Our fortress is our place of safety. Strength is the courage to stand. The shield is something that comes between me and the harm that wants to harm me. And the stronghold is our place of safety in our God. That's where we're going to find our security. It's not in the stuff of the world. It is in our God. And we are to encourage one another as we get more and more chaotic. Meet together. Stay together. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you during these trying times. May the Lord be the lifter of your soul, your sustainer, your anchor, your way maker, and your strength. And may you not be moved, but be steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord. Watch, watchman. Watch, watchman. Be the Ezekiel watchman. The one who has reconciled me, I will remember. The one who has redeemed me is worth it all. The one who brings order out of chaos, he's the one that I serve. And the one who has my home awaiting for me that says, address, Rick Gorm, or you put your name there, awaiting for me, that's my Jesus. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. Now, I would like to say this, Selah. Meditate on this. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. We thank you for what's awaiting us. We thank you that our Lord Jesus is in control of all things, that he brings calm in the chaos, even though the storm is raging around us. We can be in that little boat, calm and secure, because our God is with us. May we remember that. The next time we start to feel a little tribulating, a little thalispus, a little crushing, a little, little fear and anxiety, maybe we go, no, I'm going to turn to my Jesus and I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust him through all of this. Thank you for this time together. Lord, speak to each one of our hearts. We need you. If somebody here does not know you as Savior, may they just take one moment and say, yes, Lord, I believe you died for me. I say yes to you, Lord Jesus. I put my trust in you. I commit myself to you. I'm relying on you as my Savior. I receive your gift of salvation. I am repenting of my sins and I am turning to you. I pray that that happens to someone today here that does, if they don't know you. Thank you again for this time to be together, the to study, the infallible, inerrant word of the living God. In Jesus' name, amen.